listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. And welcome to episode 18 of the Testudo Times Podcast, where I'm happy to inform all of you great readers and listeners that we don't have to talk all that much about football anymore. Three people are joining me tonight because it is our basketball season preview extravaganza. First of all, Alex Kirshner. Alex, how happy are you that you don't have to talk about football ad nauseum for the next, well, six months, aside from when Maryland hires a head coach? Well, you know, in a way I'll miss it, but in a way I'm looking forward to getting into some other stuff for sure. Aren't you happy that you're going to be covering a team that's really good for once? I don't think it really matters so much for like the sake of covering the team, how good they are, but I think it adds some stories. So yeah, it should be, should be fun. Dave, are you happy that the football season is, for all intents and purposes, over? Uh, yeah, to some extent. I mean, I'm just I'm more happy that basketball is starting. I wish football had been better, and I'm sure it will be in the future. But I'm ecstatic that we have a fantastic basketball team. We're ecstatic about something else, something very special on this podcast. Joining us is a former four-year Maryland point guard who is on a number of great teams in the late 2000s is joining us now to help preview this next great Maryland team. Eric Hayes is here. Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. Uh, how do you think this team is going to do as a general opener? How do you think this team is going to do just to start this discussion off as a former Maryland point guard? Uh, well, I mean, it's hard to say early in the year. I, I like to see them play a few games, uh, especially, you know, the early tough games they have against, like, Carolina and Georgetown. Then I have a better idea, but... Um, you know, I've seen them practice a couple of times, and uh, you know they have a lot of potential, uh, a lot of lot of talent, really deep. Um, they got all the pieces to to make a you know a deep run in the tournament. So I'm I'm looking forward to to seeing how they do. So are we. We're all very excited after last season. Speaking of, as you know, when I like to preview teams, we have to look at where they came from before we look at where they're going. Last year, Maryland was 28 and seven. I could distinctly remember hearing that Maryland was predicted by the media to be 10th in the Big Ten out of 14 teams, and they ended up finishing second. That's not a bad turnaround. And now, based on great recruiting and the majority of that team returning, Maryland's a national title contender. So, Alex, this is one of those examples where the national consensus agrees with the Maryland consensus. They're really good, and they have the chance to be the best team in the country. I think so. I think that given the confluence of circumstances that Maryland's had, uh, this is going to be sort of the up year that every program wants um, I, I think of it kind of in the light, um, the same light as that Indiana team a couple of years ago uh, that had, you know, C.J. Watford closing out his career and had that year of uh, Cody Zeller and, and Victor Oladipo was there and a couple of other guys. And they just had so many guys, young and old, just kind of mixing. And it just made for a great, great team. Um, and there have been other examples of that. You know, there was Kim English and Phil Pressey with Mizzou and, and a couple of other teams. But the point is that given that, you know, Melo Trimble and Jake Lehman are so good but not you know, quite ready to go to the NBA, and given that Rashid Suleiman fell into Maryland's lap, and Diamond Stone is here, and Robert Carter is eligible, uh, it is a perfect storm. So I think it should be a very good team. Dave, no, I completely agree with what Alex said. I think Mark Turgeon said this a lot recently that if you asked him a couple of years ago, you know, would would his team be in the position that they're in right now, he would have thought you were crazy, especially after the turnaround that they had last season. And like Alex said, I think it was really a perfect storm of so many things coming together. And when you really look back at where the team was, they finished 17 and 15. They had 
all these people transferring out of the program and people were really questioning, you know, what was going on in Maryland was the question everyone was asking. And then to have all these different things fall into place, to have such a fantastic season in their first year in the Big Ten, and then to have all these other additional pieces come together and form this, you know, the, the pieces that you really need to make a deep national title run. And I think what's really important with Maryland's team this year and what's really important for teams that are true Final Four national title contenders are the depth that they have. And now Maryland finally has that depth at pretty much all their positions, even with the um, recent injuries suffered by Dion Wiley. We'll get to that in just a second. Eric, you've been on some very good Maryland teams in the past. What's it like being on the inside of a team that is expected to do big things, particularly national title with things? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think obviously last year for the team, I think they were a little under the radar. Nobody expected them to have the season that they did uh, the past year. And I think it's going to be a lot different this year with kind of the target on your back. Uh, obviously, if you're a top three in pretty much all the polls, uh, people are going to be gunning for you. And then you're going to get their best shot every night. So, I mean, I've, I've definitely experienced that on my career. Um, not to the extent of what these guys are going to have uh, this year. But uh, people knew that, you know, we were a good team. We were capable of beating anybody when I was there. So I don't think we ever – I don't think we ever got a, a down game from anybody that we played uh, when my four years. So, Alex, we're going to talk about the biggest player in, with for Maryland. And there's a lot of great players on this team, but we'll focus on Melo Tremble. He's a preseason Big Ten player of the year for a reason. And we had this discussion on an older podcast about – him being the face of the DMV to UMD movement for basketball and how he is the embodiment of that new idea of keeping the DMV, the Baltimore-Washington players at home, having them come to Maryland. And he's been the attraction for so many and now with recruiting, which we can get to at another point. And also, he wasn't quite good enough to go to the NBA last year, which meant him coming back and getting better is something that we're going to see this year. How good is he relative to everyone else in the country? And... With that said, can he – I don't think he could single-handedly lead Maryland to a national championship, but he's going to be a huge part of everything they do this season. He will be, and I think relative to everybody else, uh, with the exception of a small few point guards, you know, I'm talking like Chris Dunn at Providence, uh, Buddy Hale at Oklahoma, and, and maybe Marcus Page, who has the broken hand for North Carolina. Um, there's nobody that you'd rather have. I mean, you know, there are a couple of, of comparable talents, but he is, he's, great. he's a great player. Um, he's the kind of player who typically, if you have a freshman year like that, you're going to be bordering pretty close to leaving. So you won't get a second year of a guy like that. Um, I'm sure he'll be, you know, he'll have a tremendous year, um, probably his last year at Maryland, but who knows? And, and he'll be central to everything that Maryland does. I think fortunately for him this year, he doesn't have to do quite as much as he did last year because Maryland has uh, a bit of post scoring that he didn't have last year, as well as some other threats in the backcourt. So, Dave, with that, Melo Trimble not only has the help up front, but he has help behind him. I mean, Deion Wiley's injury obviously hurts, but having Rashid Suleiman, having Jalen Brantley, even though he's a freshman, it's going to spell him. So we can see more of the, quote-unquote, distilled essence of Melo Trimble this season as opposed to last year, where if he wasn't playing well or if he wasn't on the court, Maryland was screwed. Yeah, that's exactly right. And um, Melo's talked about that in some interviews recently and talked specifically about his defense and how he wants to play better defense this year. And one of the issues he faced last year was that he had to do so much. So he had to be on the court so much. Um, and part of that was he couldn't play as uh, aggressive of a defense as he wanted to, because if he picked up 
a foul or two, then he had to come out for a few minutes. And Mark Turgeon really wanted him on the court doing as much as he could for as long as he could. So now being able to have um, comparable backups, being able to you know slide over to the two sometimes if he has to, and knowing that um, he has someone else who can step in at the one for him is really, really important. It's really important for Mark Turgeon, and I think it goes back to that uh, added depth that Maryland will have this year. And that's important as you go through the season, too, because you don't want to be wearing down and being extremely tired because you're out on the court for 38 minutes. And maybe Eric can talk and speak about that a little bit more. But I would imagine as that season goes on, you want to be able to save yourself, especially when you get to March in the conference and NCAA tournaments. Eric, as a college point guard yourself, how difficult is it to come in as a freshman and do what Melo Trimble did, which is he became one of the best point guards in the country almost overnight and completely changed how Maryland played from 2013-14 to 14-15. How difficult is that to do? Yeah, man, what he did last year was pretty incredible. Um, you know, when when I was coming in as a freshman and Grievous was coming in with me, I mean, we were expected to play, but... We had a lot of upperclassmen like DJ Strawberry and those guys to that we didn't have to take the the full burden of the team and he he kind of just put the team on his back last year and uh, even though he had Dez but you know, everything kind of ran through him last year and I'm definitely looking forward to see how he how he plays this year with a little more help especially inside where he can throw throw the ball in, in, into you know Robert Carter and those guys to get some buckets and um, I think it's just going to be a lot different when this year now that he doesn't have to put everything on his own shoulders watching him uh from last year to this year what do you want to see him improve on he is a pretty complete player we already mentioned his defense but what do you think uh he needs to improve on to become an even better college point guard uh yeah i mean i think i mean defensively i mean obviously like like you were saying i mean last year he had to play so many minutes and it's hard to play 38 minutes when you're just going as hard as you can on defense and offense at the same time so i think now that he has a little more help uh, he'll be able to focus a little more, being a better defensive player. Um, but I mean, other than that, I mean, I think he'll improve in all in all assets. I mean, he's a great free throw shooter. He gets to the line a lot. Um, I think he could probably improve on his uh, you know three point percentage a little bit. Um, but other than that, you know, I think he's he'll he'll be better in, in all assets. So when you look at Maryland last year, they didn't have much of a front court presence, and now they do. Now they have a really good front court presence mm-hmm. with Robert Carter, who can eat rebounds, and Diamond Carter, who's a seven-foot center, even though he's a freshman. Diamond Stone. Yes, Diamond Stone. And we'll get to his expectations at another point. But, Eric, how much does it help and relieve the pressure on the point guard when you know you have front court scoring in front of you that's going to be consistent it's going to always be there? Oh, yeah, I mean, it's very important. I mean, you know – Having so much on his shoulders last year, you know, he he came in every game knowing he had to get a certain amount, you know, in in order for, you know, Maryland to win. And uh, being able to throw it into you know Robert or Diamond or any of those guys that can can now take a little bit of the pressure off him, uh, scoring wise, uh, will definitely help uh, throughout throughout the year. So, you guys, you can ask questions. I know so, I'm the host, but I'm gonna let you get the guys have the floor for a bit. One of the one of the interesting questions, Eric, uh, that came in when we tweeted out that you were going to be joining us, um, and this is a fun one. I, I don't know if you ever thought about this before. Which player from the Duke teams that you played against over your years at Maryland uh, do you most wish could have joined Maryland one year in your career, uh, a la Rashid Suleiman coming from Durham to College Park this year? Ask that question, Alex. Stop stealing oh. thunder. 
What's oh, okay. Um, wow. Um, now is it JJ Reddick or is it not JJ Reddick? I guess would be the the lead the leading question. It's JJ. So never did. Okay. Oh, uh, he he was a year right before me. Okay. Uh, but he definitely would would have been one of them. Um, it would. I mean, honestly, a big man. You know, maybe like a Josh McRoberts or somebody like that who we could have yeah. a, a legitimate big big center that that was really good. Because uh, I don't think we really really had that in my four years I was here. Now you, I know you intersected, didn't you, for for like maybe a year or two with uh, Jordan Williams, right? He, yeah, he was a freshman. I was a, a senior. Correct. What have you? I'm curious because now um, I, I believe Jordan Williams might not be on a roster right now, but there are a couple of Maryland big men um, since you've left him and Alex Len. Speaking of who who have made it in the NBA, um, do you think that Maryland has become in any way? Um, more of a, a big man centric program in the years that you've gone, because typically we've thought, you know, since really Len Bias, um, you know, most of Maryland's best players that you that you think of as synonymous with the program have been guards. Um, do you think that Maryland has has found a way to be a little bit more balanced of a program and, and found kind of that big man talent? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think even since the uh, the national championship with Lonnie and, and Chris Wilcox, you know, Taj Holden, obviously Taj didn't play in the NBA, but those two did, um, and having Alex and, and Jordan, I mean, I think. It's definitely uh, proven that um, you know you can come to Maryland and, and and make it to the NBA as a big man and and thrive. Um, and we've seen that 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 you know especially with Alex that by the time he came in as a freshman and by the time he left he was such a, a better player. And uh, I think uh, the coaches here have shown that they can develop uh, the big men. Dave, any questions? Yeah, Eric, I'd I'd love to know what your favorite Gary Williams story is or favorite quote from him or, you know, what your funniest thing or just any lasting memory that you have from playing under him. Oh man. Uh, well, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different things I could say, but probably not on, 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 on the radio. <laughs> Don't worry. You can curse. Once. You won't get the NSFW tag. On iTunes, at least if it doesn't happen multiple times, feel free. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I won't do that. But, um, I mean, honestly, just, just thinking back on my four years, I mean, I, I feel like, I mean, practices were so much fun. I mean, I know uh, a lot of people believe that, like, you know, Gary was a hard ass 24-7 and never had a sense of humor, but um, he was hilarious in practice. I mean, getting on guys and, and making fun of guys during practice. I mean, I know I had one of my roommates was Dave Pierman. He was a walk-on, and, uh, you know, every day he would have something new for him. And uh, it was just during practice at a serious time, he would just – slip up and say something to somebody and everybody's just trying not to see let gary know that we're, we're laughing and you know because <laughs> if, if he saw we were laughing we'd probably been running stairs or suicides but uh yeah he was he, he, he was a funny guy if, if a lot of people probably don't know that about him how would you have dealt with the uh, the walk-ons that had the show on umterps.com how do you, <laughs> you would have dealt with that uh i don't know they, they probably went ahead in the first place but um i think after a while he probably would have just went along with it and, and, and let him do the thing. But, uh, yeah, that probably wouldn't happen to begin with. Well, that would have I'm curious. Thought. I'm curious if you – because you GA'd – I know after Gary left, you GA'd under Mark Turgeon, right? Yes, yep. What stylistic differences have you picked up on between those two men and the way that they lead Maryland's program? Oh, I mean, I think basketball-wise, I mean, I think it's just different philosophy. Um, I know you know, Gary liked to press a little bit more, uh, get up and down, whereas um, – and run the flex offense and that type of stuff. A lot more sets. Um, whereas Mark, he uh, kind of lets his players make plays and, and, and kind of just organically, you know, 
uh, run their offense and, and a lot more pick and roll and that type of stuff. So I think, you know, basketball-wise, they have different philosophy. But, I mean, there's a lot of similarities in their approach to, you know, the game. And they're both point guards and both hard-nosed, you know, tough guys um, when they played. So I think they both brought the same type of, like, passion and, and, and understanding of, you know, what it takes to, to win. So I think uh, they have a lot of similarities as well. This is something I want to get to. Uh, we'll talk more about this at another point when we preview the schedule more in depth later. But, Eric, you were on the team that last beat North Carolina at North Carolina. And not coincidentally, they were number one in the country at the time you guys beat them. And presumably, unless something stupid happens, which would be very entertaining, UNC is going to be number one when Maryland goes in there on December 1st. First of all, it's very difficult to win there no matter who you are. Second of all, it's going to be even harder to win there when they're number one in the country. But what did you guys do specifically on that day? And I know you'll probably have some great memories of that game that the current team, which is a very, very good team in its own right. What can you teach them uh, in order to how to go in there and beat UNC in a game that's going to be probably one of the best of the season? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely tough going into, you know, a place like uh, the Dean Dome or you know, Cameron. But uh, especially, you know, when, I, when we beat them there, I mean, they had a very high-powered offense. I mean, they had a lot of they probably had four lottery picks that year when we played them. Um, but, you know, you got to understand that they're going to they're gonna go on runs when, when you go play at, at their place. And, you know, you got to weather those weather those storms and just uh, do the best you can to, to answer those those times when they make runs. And I remember, you know, a few times they made some runs. And that, that, that place gets place gets really loud and you can't even hear yourself so um just just weathering those storms and, and being able to you know just stick with what you're doing and stick with your game plan and uh i think they'll definitely have a, a shot this year hopefully Paige is playing as well so they can you know have a, a full strength team eric where's what's the toughest places you played in what's the toughest place uh i, I mean I, I would definitely say cameron um yeah it's just it's just uh a, a lot different than any other place you're gonna play um a lot smaller it's more compact it's hotter you know that as much as the fans get uh talked about i mean they are a very good fan base and they do a good job of you know being there for the team uh during the game so it, it, cameron's definitely the, the hardest place to play what was, like play- oh, what was it like playing with grievous vasquez at cameron <laughs> uh, well, it, it made it a little bit easier for me because I made it pretty much. <laughs> all him. Oh, I was waiting for a grievous question because he uh, he kind of brought that onto himself, as you all probably know very well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I didn't I didn't get much attention when I was there. Um, it was basically all on Grievous and, and Coach Williams. So, did you ever imagine when you played uh, with Grievous that this would be a guy who could stick in the NBA for six years now, uh, which is really a, a pretty long professional career already? Um, I mean, as coming in as freshman, I, I, maybe I didn't see it, but you know, he's a really hard worker. Um, and he, he improved over his four years at Maryland and, uh, he got to the point where, you know, if he, he found a, a niche in the NBA and he's found some success, you know, early, especially, uh, I think in, I think in the playoffs one year with Memphis, he had a pretty good playoff. So people yeah. saw that he could perform at, you know, big times and in, in clutch situations. So I think, uh, that's earned him uh, his merit in the NBA, and I think he'll, he'll he'll stick around for a long time. What's your favorite grievous story that you can say on the air on a somewhat family-related show? <laughs> favorite grievous story? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, 
It's hard to hard to think of the top of my it's head. Tough to make a guy condense four four years into. <laughs> I uh, know, but we have, we have to try. <laughs> He's a captive audience. Uh, I mean, I mean, the 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 whole thing my our senior year with with us going back to Duke. I mean, him saying how it's his house and that type of stuff, and then, <laughs> you know, just all the different seeing all the different signs when you walk in there uh, was just. I mean, literally everywhere you go, there was always signs about him and. You know, so it's it you, you see some crazy things uh, when you're on the road with with Grievous. What's the life like as Eric Hayes, a former Maryland player, watching Maryland basketball on the couch, especially now this year with the team being really good? Are you like coaching from the couch, saying, "Why didn't you do that? What the? Are you going to get madder than all of us combined?" <laughs> uh, I would probably not. Um, I I definitely, you know, I care a lot if, if they win or not, but. Um, being with, with, with coach Turge for two years, I kind of know what he expects out of them. So I can pretty much tell when they're doing something wrong or they're running a play wrong or, you know, something like that. So I definitely, uh, can probably critique uh, the game a little differently than a lot of people. Um, so that, that's, that's more what I look at is just, you know, what guys are doing and, and maybe what they're doing wrong for the most part. Uh, that's I'm, I'm curious and I would never, I would never ask you you know, what you think will happen this season. But for Maryland to do what Maryland fans want and, and say, play in the Final Four, um, what is one or two things that you think absolutely need to happen for Maryland to be the kind of team that it hopes to be? Um, I mean, one, I think is stay healthy. I mean, that's obviously important for any team, you know, that wants to make a deep run. Luckily, we were pretty deep, so we can maybe uh, overcome a couple injuries. But uh, staying healthy is definitely one. And then, I mean, you know, staying humble and, 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 and just continuing to, to try to get better throughout the year. Uh, you, you just can't be satisfied with, you know, having an early uh, preseason ranking. Uh, so I think that's going to be the, the probably the, the toughest thing to do is just to try not to, to look at the polls and try not to think about it and just continue to just plug away and, and try to get better over the over the season. Alex can't ask you this question, but I can. How do you think they're going to do this season? <laughs> I mean, I think they should, they should do very well. I mean, I think they'll win the Big Ten. Um, and then, you know, when, when, when you get to the tournament, as you, you know, anything can happen. Um, and I think they got they have a good shot of, of, of making it to, to Houston. So, I mean, I'm, 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 my expectations are high, as is, as is everybody's. Um, but like you said, I mean, in a tournament, anything can happen. And I know firsthand that, that anything can happen. So, just to uh, wait and see. Your, your last game, unfortunately. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't want to mention that, but I, I had to. Sorry. Do uh, you have any uh, final questions before we let Eric go? Eric, do you think you'll be uh, getting out to any games this season? Oh yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll definitely be at some games. Um, I'm, I may go Friday for the first one, and then try to hit most of the big games. Um, definitely looking forward to the the Georgetown game. Um, that's gonna be that's gonna be an exciting atmosphere for sure. So I'm, I'll, I'll be at I'll be at a few for sure. Okay, we we look forward to seeing you there. Yeah, same here. Eric, I, before we let you go, I'd be curious to know what your perspective is on Maryland being in the Big Ten now as someone who played with them throughout the ACC, throughout your four years there, and then seeing them transfer to this conference. What's it been like for you, and how do you? what are your feelings on the entire thing? Uh, yeah, I mean, initially when I heard it was happening, I, I mean, I wasn't too happy about it. You know, I grew up on ACC basketball and, and, and being a Maryland fan. And just having those rivalries you know, that, that we've had for so many years, um, but you know, I, I get where they're coming from. I get why they made the move. Um, and I mean, the, the, it's not like we're going to some 
terrible uh, conference. I mean, Big Ten has, has been very successful in basketball, and uh, there's a lot of great programs uh, that we can uh, create new rivalries with. So I'm looking forward to seeing where that goes, you know, the next 10, 15 years and who who really becomes the, the rivals, uh, the new rivals for us. All right. Eric, thank you so much for joining us. Hopefully you like this enough that you'll come <laughs> back later in the year. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Anytime. It was awesome. Eric Hayes, thank you so thank much you, Eric. for joining us. Thank you, Eric. We will be back briefly. We have an interlude on this show. Isn't this fun? We'll be back with our thoughts on the season and maybe a little bit of football talk as well. So don't go anywhere. This pause will be about two seconds for you guys. So that was fun, eh, guys? A blast. A blast. Definitely. I love that. And we know, as we said, we know how much people love Gary Williams' nostalgia. Good nostalgia, right? Well, yeah, Gary Williams Gary Williams left Maryland, like, before you and I got here. Um, well, he left Maryland before I even really— But I will say that I've always I've always thought that Gary, Gary Williams would be a pretty interesting guy to, you know, sit down with one-on-one um, and just chat. I'm sure that he'd be— It'd be a pretty interesting interview. I've never, I've never really talked to the guy for more than. I don't even know if I've ever like asked him a question. Actually, I don't know if I ever spoke to him at all. He seems like I, definitely would be an interesting guy. I've had a chance to talk to him just through covering Maryland for the past, you know, six or seven years. When I was a freshman at Maryland, it was the national title year, and I actually got to travel with the team with Maryland's pep band, and um, was at the national championship game. And, you know, the happiest I've ever seen Gary was in that hotel in Atlanta after that game, smoking a cigar, drinking a beer, and eating a slice of pizza. It was the calmest I've ever seen him. Oh, that's, but, that's, that's, that's the dream. dream. That's the dream. Gary's, uh, Gary's a great guy, a great guy to talk to. Um, he can definitely be intimidating, like I was saying with Eric. I, I was terrified to ask him a question after a loss because he was just so angry and frustrated and you know, he, he cared so much, too, and he, he was one of the most emotional coaches I think I've covered because when his team did well or when he had a team, which he so frequently did, that was not expected to do as well, and he got the most out of his players and they were able to achieve things that you never thought possible, you know, he really, he was so happy for those guys and so happy for his alma mater at the same time. It's, he was a real joy covering. What team do you think was the biggest example of that? I mean, again, Maryland is those Gary Williams years are before my time. I have to be honest. When I picked Maryland, it was April of 2012. So everything before that is is what I look back on in reading and watching retrospective. So what team do you think most exemplified that getting the most out of not much? Um, I'm trying to think of the exact year. It was the year basically where they didn't have a center and Dave Neal played center and some guys from the Washington Post tried to do this um, kind of like expose on Maryland and recruiting. And um, there was a whole situation with Debbie Yao and Gary Williams and this really bizarre press conference where Debbie Yao said, you know, Gary's not getting fired. And then they just used that as momentum to spur an NCAA tournament run. Um, I mean, that's just, just one of the prime examples that I can think of. Was that 09 or 10? I'm trying to think what it was. It was, I'm pretty sure it was Dave Neal's senior year. I I think it was either 08 or 09 or 09 or 10. Yeah, those are the two. They both, they made the second round of the tournament both of those years. So, 
I mean, Alex, it's before our time, so I don't think we can really answer that question. But somebody in the comments of this show, no yeah. doubt, will answer it for us. They will. I think it's funny. I think about this a lot. I mean, so many of the people who read the things that uh, I write and a number of a number of us write who weren't here at Maryland, they've got a much longer view back on Maryland than than I do. And so it's funny. I but most of us I, writing here. Do. I think I think it's important not to never to try to pretend like I know more than people about anything that has anything to do with Maryland. Well, not even in the last three years, but especially nothing that happened before like 2012, because it's not even, it, things, things have changed so starkly um, in so many ways for Maryland since before we got there to now. Oh, abso- absolutely. So let's talk about this team. Uh, there are players that I want to talk about that we didn't talk about with Eric. Personally, the first one I want to talk about is a player that I think is getting a lot of attention for good reasons. It's Robert Carter. God, how Maryland would look so different last year if they had Robert Carter because he fills the biggest holes on this team, which were specifically rebounding. I can remember in that West Virginia game where they just got pounded on the offensive glass. Couldn't get an offensive rebound to save their life, and that's Robert Carter's specialty. So uh-huh. how much does he change this team, Alex? He does a bunch. Uh, I think pairing him with Diamond Stone and DeMonte Dodd and Michael Tchaikovsky does a bunch. Um, this guy, in his last year at Georgia Tech, uh, had a defensive rebounding rate of almost 30%. He was the seventh most proficient defensive rebounder in the whole country, meaning that every time somebody missed a shot on the other team, three out of ten of those, Robert Carter is grabbing it, creating possession for his team. Uh, so it's a huge thing. Uh, and he's a really good offensive rebounder, too. He gets like 8% of his offensive rebound opportunities. Um, there's nothing at all in basketball that is more valuable than having the ball. Uh, and Robert Carter's going to be absolutely huge. Yeah, yeah, it's, it really, it really is. is. It's pretty simple. Um and he's going to be essential for Maryland to kind of retain possession and, and keep scores down at the margins, which is how you win games in the Big Ten. Okay, we talked a lot about the centerless offense or the lack of a big man with Eric, uh, Dave, and we saw that last year. And Big Ten basketball is very physical, not as much guard-driven. And the games that Maryland lost, I mean, they lost to Ohio State, but the biggest game that they got killed in was Iowa. And that's the prototypical Big Ten basketball game. I mean, even I'm thinking back to Purdue, when Maryland was getting beaten up and they somehow won that game. Having a guy like Robert Carter, even whoever's playing center, Stone or Tchaikovsky or Dodd, it doesn't really matter. Having Robert Carter is changes the way that team looks when you're going on the road in hostile Big Ten environments, for sure. No, yeah, it definitely does. I mean, I just think Maryland's front court depth this year is so much better with Robert Carter, with Diamond Stone. Um, you know, DeMonte Dodd's going to be important, too, especially in defensive end, I think. Stone has some work to do on the defensive side, but to be able to put Dodd in there and have his defensive presence and do that offensive-defensive substitutions. And then, like you were saying, Robert Carter is just, you know, a fantastic addition to this team for so many reasons. He's just going to do so many things, both offensively and defensively, aside from his rebounds. And I think, you know, Maryland was able to recover really well with their influx of talent from the guys that transferred. But one of the people that they missed, especially in offensive rebounding, was Charles Mitchell. And Charles Mitchell's offensive rebounding percentage was something crazy his last year at Maryland. I think he was like number 12th in the country in offensive rebound percentage. And last year at Georgia Tech, he was fourth nationally. So, you know, having people who can grab those rebounds now and just set up the offense again, I think, is just a tremendous help. And you know, they're going to be able to do so many things in terms of creating lanes for the guards to drive and be able to go inside out. And I, I just think, 
you know, having Lehman back at small forward is going to be fantastic for them as well. Let's talk about the centers, because I remember when Diamondstone committed to Maryland, I was thinking even before that, Maryland was going to be pretty good. And then when Diamondstone committed, I said, this is the move that puts them over the top. What, however good he is, it doesn't really matter in the mind of somebody who is a diehard Maryland fan immediately after good news like that comes. Uh, Alex, what are the expectations for Diamondstone? Because as you said, a freshman point guard has a learning curve and a freshman center has a completely different learning curve. And you're in the conference in the country where being a big man, I don't want to say it's the hardest, but it's pretty dang important, maybe more so than in any other Power 5 conference. To be a big man in the Big Ten is crucially important. So what are our expectations for Diamondstone this season? As you've alluded to, it's tough um, given the, the general projectability problems that come with freshman big men. Um, when, when I interviewed Mark Turgeon at Maryland's Media Day, um, he made a point that you know it's, it's really tough to kind of approximate what a freshman center like Diamondstone is going to be, no matter how good he is uh, as a recruit. And I think that's true. Um, but at the same time, I think he's going to be pretty good. Um, you know, you can't teach seven feet, and that's going to be a pretty serious asset against some of the Big Ten's biggest players. Um, teams like Purdue, they have A.J. Hammonds, uh, Isaac Haas, a couple of things like that, Caleb Swanigan at Purdue. Um, Wisconsin actually is going to be a little, a little bit smaller this year, um, but Indiana added a big man, Thomas Bryant. Uh, Michigan State has Gavin Schilling uh, and Matt Costello. So there are a lot of pretty good big men that Maryland last year in particular had trouble rebounding against. Um, Diamond Stone is going to help with that in the same way that Robert Carter will. Um, anything that he does offensively in terms of above average production, um, that's gravy. I mean, I think as long as he's a solid two-way player um, who can give Maryland, you know, reasonably efficient shooting, doesn't take bad shots, which he has mentioned, you know, he doesn't have to take bad, uh, bad shots uh, in an offense like this. Uh, I think anything that he can do offensively, as long as he's a solid defender, solid rebounder, uh, is only going to help. I don't think that he needs to score a ton for Maryland to still win. Dave, let's go on to, I guess, DeMonte Dodd and Michael Tchaikovsky. And I don't think DeMonte Dodd, and Michael Tchaikovsky is still young, and he was adapting to playing the North American style of game. And DeMonte Dodd was, I think, for some, a little bit better than we expected. Uh, how, for those two, when Diamondstone is here, obviously he's the name. But for those two, and you figure Dodd's going to end up paying more of the minutes, at least to start. How important are those two to the way Maryland plays this season? Obviously, for depth reasons, they're critically important, because you can't ride a freshman center for 36, 37 games. But how important are DeMonte, Don, and Michael Tchaikovsky to Maryland's success this season? I mean, I think they're they're vital. Um, you Like you were saying, Dodd, I think, did surprise in a lot of ways because I think he showed that he has the capability of scoring. And with the improvements he's apparently made on defense, I think that's just, you know, another facet of his game that's going to be really important for Maryland. You know, one of the problems Dodd had last year was the number of fouls that he was committing per 40 minutes. So if he can severely cut down on that and be on the court more, I think that's going to be a huge benefit for Maryland. And like we were saying about Chico, I think he's um, continuing to adapt. He's 7-1. We saw a huge growth with Alex Len from his freshman year to his sophomore year. I'm not saying that we can expect that same kind of growth and production from Michael Tchaikovsky this year, but you know, there can be a big um, growth in that skill set, especially as you get settled in into your new place of residence like he's had to do. And I think he could be another person off the bench for Maryland that Mark Turgeon can put in there and 
have great production, especially when you're going against all these different big men in the Big Ten, like Alex was talking about. That's really got to wear on you, I would think, when you're constantly banging inside and going against these huge guys night in and night out. And now Maryland has a whole bunch of different people. They can rotate in and out of there and hopefully keep guys fresh. It's amazing because don't you remember the Wisconsin game, which I call it the Alex Len against uh, Duke performance in 2013 when Alex Len was just completely and utterly dominant. And then Michael Tchaikovsky did that against Frank Kaminsky in Wisconsin. You're like, wow, if that's his ceiling, that's a pretty high ceiling. Uh, and now I, I don't think we can expect that in every game, but we could expect more performances, 80% of that. 75% of the time this season. If that if Maryland's getting that from a technically a third string center, uh, I think they're gonna be okay. No, exactly. Yeah. Dave? No, I completely agree. If, if they can get that kind of production, you know, even half the time, Maryland's gonna be in a really, really good position. And I think one of the one of the ways that we have to remember that it's gonna be really beneficial to them is that when you're playing inside like that, you're gonna draw contact, you're gonna pick up fouls and now Maryland has three guys that they can put in there at any time. So you're talking about 15 fouls against another team who presumably isn't going to have as many players who are as capable as Maryland's roster is. So Maryland hopefully will have even more opportunities to score in there because opposing teams are going to have to worry about their guys fouling out where Maryland has, you know, this great depth and resource. And as we remember last year, Maryland was ridiculously good from the foul line, which is an even bigger benefit. Be, I think they'll be even better this year from the foul line, to be honest with you. Uh, Diamond, Diamond Stone is going to be such an efficient, valuable free throw shooter. This guy, you know, they, they've said, um, people who have watched him more than I have, which is just in person one time, um, say he has serious touch. He was 4-4 from the foul line uh, against Southern New Hampshire and playing against a D2 team does not enhance your ability to make foul shots. Um, <laughs> I think that I think he's going to be someone who's at the line a lot and making, you know, 70-ish percent. That's going to be great. Um, obviously, Mel Trimble, Jake Lehman, Rashid Suleiman, those guys can get to the line and also make foul shots too. Uh, that was a huge edge last year. I think it'll be probably eh, yeah, probably about the same amount of edge this year. I, I know Des Wells has gone. He was a big part of that. Um, but it's going to be helpful. So... Let's talk about the guards for a second. Uh, Deion Wiley's injury is a torn meniscus. That sounds really bad. We don't know how long it's going to be out, but let's assume for all intents and purposes that it's quite a long time. If this was Maryland last year, that would be a bit of a problem. They didn't have a ton of depth at guard. This year, I don't think it's going to be as big of a problem. And Alex, I know we saw Rashid Suleiman play both point guard and shooting guard a bit uh, in the exhibition game against the Penn men, which is the best name for any team in the history of sports, regardless of what anyone else says. It's good. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Uh, didn't you say uh, the PA guy was kind of snickering at the name Penn men? He was. And the PA guy, he's, he's a great guy. I, I love that guy. He's great. But yeah, he was, he was laughing. I thought, I, uh, I, thought I, I thought I caught it. I, he, he didn't, <laughs> he didn't get all the way in there, but I could, I could feel a little snicker um, as there was when everyone else said that name on Friday. It's hard to not snicker at that name, but Back to the guard situation. Melo Trimble and Rashid Suleiman, we assume, are going to start for most of the games. You have Jared Nickens, who could come in off the bench and is an amazing spot-up shooter, particularly from the corner. And then you have now Jalen Brantley as a freshman who can spell Melo Trimble just even in the slightest bit. So the guard situation, even without Deion Wiley, which is a loss, to be fair, they, that's not as huge of a loss as it would have been a year ago, right, Alex? Yeah, I think that's true. Um, it's never... Never helpful for 
a team to to lose anybody. Um, but with Brantley being in, and Jalen Brantley's got a little bit more experience than we think. I think he's he's technically going to be a sophomore in eligibility. He's played a JC year, which is a higher level of play than high school. Um, obviously, Rashid Suleiman has been around the block three times with Duke. Uh, so there are guys here who can support Maryland. Um, it's it's tough um, to lose anybody, but if Maryland was going to lose anybody on its roster, a depth guard um, is is probably something that it can withstand um, just because that is that has become a position of strength. Um, although, frankly, Maryland, Maryland even has depth in the front court. I don't think that any one injury uh, is really going to fail Maryland this year. Aside from Mello Tremble. No, I, I, even that, honestly. Um, now, that wouldn't be good. Um, certainly wouldn't be good. Cross your face, knock on whatever. But really, I, I think Maryland is, is a deep team that isn't going to be defined by one person. In the past, last year, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you saw what happened. Uh, when Mello Trimble wasn't in the lineup for most of the second half against West Virginia um, in the NCAA tournament. Obviously, Maryland couldn't withstand that last year. Uh, but this is a different year. It's a deeper roster. Uh, it's a roster that doesn't run its its offense probably completely through the backcourt. Um, so I think they're they're pretty well sustainable to hit you know whatever they need and, and come out of it. Dave, uh, what do you think about this guard situation? Because it's definitely different than it was a year ago. Yeah, it really is. And like Alex was saying, I think the the biggest thing is is the depth, not just that guard, but throughout the roster that Maryland has this year. And um, it's a shame that Dion got hurt, and I, I think he would have been a big contributor for them, especially off the bench. Um, but you know, they can probably withstand it. And I think you're going to see more balanced scoring from this team this year from all the different positions. Whereas last year, the offense really ran a lot through Trimble and through Des Wells and through Jake Lehman. Now you have that inside presence that you didn't really have last year. So you're taking some pressure off the guards in, in a lot of different ways. And they're, they're not going to be required to do as much, I think, this year, and I think that's going to be really beneficial, and that's why this injury might not hurt Maryland. It definitely won't hurt Maryland as much as it would have last year. I mean, last year Maryland was just struggling in terms of having enough people to practice against sometimes. So this this really you know helps with that. Their depth. We've reached the point of the podcast where we have to go to the Woody Hayes segment. Let's talk about the schedule. There are a lot of people who are just punching their computer screens for me saying that, but I don't really care. It's my podcast. So the schedule for Maryland sets up in the Atta Conference. First, obviously, is Georgetown. Uh, we're recording this on a Monday night before, oh, eight days before Georgetown. You will be listening to this podcast seven days before Georgetown. I don't know how good they are. Uh, for obviously the aesthetic reasons, it's a big game. But that's really Maryland's first test. And then you get to the UNC game, which is the big one. We talked about it with Eric, and I want to get your guys' opinion. With, And I guess we should do this two ways. Without Marcus Page... How does Maryland fare against UNC? And then with Marcus Page, how does Maryland fare against UNC? So, well, Alex. I, I think um, without Marcus Page is not really something that we're going to have to consider. Um, I am like, I am almost positive uh, that Marcus Page is going to play in that game, not knowing anything from behind the scenes in Chapel Hill. Um, but he's out three to four weeks. Um, that pretty places that place, isn't North Carolina has a bit of a, a bit of a lead, a bit of a gap between its game before Maryland and the Maryland game. My guess is that that's his first game of the season. Um, so the real question is, talk about North Carolina with a rusty Marcus Page. Rusty Marcus Page, exactly. Um, and I think that probably for Maryland uh, might be a little easier to take than than anything else, including if he just didn't play. Um, 
it's going to be tough. I mean, it's not easy to find your way back into a major college basketball environment when you're playing a team like Maryland in a game that big. Um, Page is great. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's, he's in one of the top four point guards in the whole country. Um, but I think he'll be probably a little bit less when he faces Maryland that night than he normally would be. Okay, and then Dave, after that, it's a week until Maryland plays UConn at Madison Square Garden, which is the biggest game they have left in out-of-conference. And they're a good enough team to assume, despite last year's evidence, that they will probably thump everybody else they play in out-of-conference play. So those are the three games, Georgetown, UConn, and UNC. And they go to Cancun to play the Cancun Challenge, but Illinois State and TCU aren't any good. So uh, against UConn, they're a pretty decent team, but they missed the tournament last year. I'm assuming they're better this year. Uh, Maryland against UConn at the Garden, that's pretty special in any regards. Uh, as basically Maryland's last test before Big Ten play, uh, how do you think Maryland shapes up in that game? I, mean, I think they, they should do fairly well in that game, and they have done well in these games that they played up there in New York. Uh, I think it was three years ago today that Maryland was actually playing Kentucky up at the Barclays Center. So uh, well, like, there, there's been a... Although that was the year that Kentucky made the NIT, so. Yeah, there's there's a really good Maryland following that's willing to travel to New York. Um, the biggest downside about that game this year is that it's on a Tuesday night, so I don't think that following is going to be as big as it has been in the past. But it, it's going to be a great atmosphere anytime you have a game in Madison Square Garden. It's going to, so I, it's, I think it's really nice for Maryland to get up into the New York market like that. It's going to help them recruiting-wise, raising their profile up there. And I think they'll have a, a pretty good matchup against UConn, and they definitely, you know, they should be able to walk out of that game with a win, I would think. We would hope so. So then, at a conference play continues, and Maryland should beat everybody they play. And then we get to Big Ten play. Now, Big Ten play is going to be fascinating. Maryland's the favorite in the conference, to be sure, but the Big Ten's pretty good. There are a lot Very of good. teams Very in the good. conference. Yeah. I don't know if it's the best conference in college basketball. I think it is. might be. I, this year, I think it might be, too. I think everybody except maybe maybe three teams, like being Penn State, Nebraska, and Rutgers, has a very real chance of playing the tournament. Oh, okay. So when you look at the big teams, the teams that are going to give Maryland the most trouble, that would be the Michigan States, the Indianas, the Purdue's, I guess Michigan now that Karis LeVert's healthy. I mean, Wisconsin and Ohio State, you can't really completely discount them. Maryland plays all of those teams on the road including Michigan State and Indiana, only on the road. So they're going to be tested quite a lot this season. Uh, their home schedule is not particularly favorable when you look at who they're playing at home. So I think that can't be a, that can't be a bad thing. I mean, they'll lose a couple of games because you lose a couple of games on the road in conference play unless you're Kentucky and you're in the horrible, horrible SEC. Yeah. But it, that, that can't be a bad thing for Maryland, having to go to Purdue, having to go to Wisconsin – Go to Michigan State. Go to Indiana is the last game of the regular season, too, which is I, I what a great way to end the regular season, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, Maryland could lose, like, plenty of conference games. And I, I don't think that it would be, like, anybody's fault or, or anything that's a negative reflection on Maryland. Um, but all of those road games, I mean, the, the Wisconsin, the Michigan, the Michigan State, the Purdue, the Indiana, like, Maryland could absolutely go 0-5 in those games. I mean, they probably won't. I mean, you know, you're probably looking at 2-3 and three or 3-2. Three and two. But those are five really hard games. Those are five of the hardest games that anybody's going to play in the country this year. Um, you know, those teams, even especially if you consider that Wisconsin is always going to be better than people think it is, always. And I think they'll have a little extra motivation considering somebody on Maryland's team is from the state of Wisconsin. 
or that it's Bo Ryan's last year. But yeah, that too. But um, you can combine both of those things. Yeah, but I, I just think it's going to be a really challenging run. Um, that's why I think people are going to probably freak when I say this, but Maryland could lose pretty easily seven or eight games during the regular season. Be instead of a one seed, be a two, three, even a four seed. Really doesn't matter that much uh, as long as Maryland is playing at a high level and ready to beat teams at neutral sites uh, come March, which I suspect uh, Maryland will be able to do. People yeah, I, I think lost four when they won the national title. So, I mean, right, that's exactly what I was going to say. Maryland, yeah. Maryland lost four games Although you know, when they won it all. And people have to have to realize that it is very, 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 very unlikely that Maryland would go undefeated this year. And if you're starting out the season Impossible. with expectations that they're, yeah, if you're starting the expectations that Maryland is going to start the season undefeated, then you're setting yourself up for disappointment, even with as talented as this team is. They, they lost 11 games when they made the final four and a one. So it's clearly possible. So, I mean, Dave, what are your thoughts on the schedule? Cause it, it is very difficult. And that again, it's going to benefit Maryland in every way to have these brutal games on the road in the big 10 before you get to neutral site games in March. Yeah. I mean, I think you, the biggest thing is, testing your team early and getting better as the season goes on. And when Maryland's facing these teams early, they're going to get a good indication of where this team stands and what they do need to improve on. Cause I'm certain that there are things that they're going to need to improve on and that Mark Turgeon would say the exact same thing. They're going to be tested against Georgetown. They have to go to Cancun for those two games for the Cancun challenge. And like we talked about, they have North Carolina and Connecticut and then this conference late in the Big Ten, and they're going to have to continue to improve and build off of those non-conference games and really go through a grueling Big Ten schedule. But And it's not just – the Big Ten is very good, I think, from top to bottom this year, except for, you know, three or four teams. And like Alex was saying, so many of them are most definitely NCAA tournament teams. They definitely have the potential to achieve that. And – Maryland isn't going to be able to take a night off. There's, there aren't really any cupcakes on their conference schedule this year. And they're going to also be getting these teams best shot. You know, a lot of people weren't very happy that in Maryland's first season, they came in here and they had their way and got a heck of a lot of wins for their um, first campaign with the conference. And people are going to be out for revenge. They're going to have a target on their back, like Eric was talking about earlier. And they're going to get teams best shots every night. And that's going to be really hard to overcome. I think it's worth mentioning last year that whatever you take of Ken Palm's stats, and based on our readership of this website, not a lot of people like Ken Palm very much. Ahem. Uh, last year, I think Maryland was, what, second in terms of luck? Uh, first, with the, the highest luck rating of any power conference team, in the history of Conroy's ratings. Will not yeah, they, happen again. They, they were ridiculously lucky last year with some of the last... They were 12 and 1 in six-point games and fewer. It won't happen again. That, yeah, that's absolutely impossible. Uh, for, for past Maryland teams that were the unluckiest teams in the history of college basketball, last year's Maryland team was the luckiest. So And Maryland does do things that are really good for winning close games. I mean, they make free throws and they have good guards, but yeah, it won't happen again. Especially, you know, You're not going to get that twice in a row, especially not if you are the University of Maryland. <laughs> we, we don't get those kinds of things here. So uh, before we move on to other sports quickly, because we have to talk about them, uh, what are your predictions for this season? Where do you think this team ends up? Uh, I think Sweet 16 is fair, it's fair guess. Maybe the Elite Eight, maybe the Final Four. Um, but I think the fairest, the fairest thing to say is this should be a Sweet 16 team. And after that, you let the, the basketball gods decide. 
That's the min. Is that the minimum, Dave? Because they haven't made it since they won the national title to the Sweet 16 uh, or 2003. Excuse me. Uh, no, I, I think the Sweet 16 is a very good um, benchmark for this team. It's not saying that they're not capable of reaching the Elite Eight or reaching the Final Four or winning the national championship this year because they have the talent and they're certainly capable of doing so. But, you know, so much has to go right for you in a season for you to even get to the Elite Eight and get to the Final Four and to win it all. And it depends on what team you're matching up against. And there's just so many, you know, outside factors that you can't even consider, especially right now when we're talking about this in November, that I think, you know, they have the ability to get to the Sweet 16. They should be able to win two games in the tournament to achieve that. Beyond that, then you're bringing in a whole bunch of different factors. And if they don't get past the Sweet 16, that doesn't mean this wasn't a extremely talented Maryland team and one of the more talented teams that we've seen potentially since the national championship team. It's just that in the tournament it happens. Right, exactly. Uh, We should also mention that Maryland, this is not really, I mean, it might be the end for guys. It is the end for Jake Lame, and it might be the end for Mello Trimble and others. But Maryland's recruiting pretty dang well. Uh, they're going to be a good program for quite a long time. Uh, and it's one of the years where they might not be nearly as good as they are this year in terms of roster on paper. They could win the national title then. So this is the beginning of something, not the end of something. We should make that completely clear, right? I think so. So no jumping off the ledge is when Maryland loses one game, guys. Okay? Yeah, I just remember Maryland- the national title year, Maryland lost the first game of the season against Arizona. And I remember then people were freaking out about it. And you just... It's a long season. That's what you have to remember. It is Maryland basketball, and people will always freak out. We should mention other sports briefly before we uh, let you go, because there are other sports that happen. Should in the non-revs, field hockey won the Big Ten title again, which is awesome. Volleyball upset Ohio State. Todd Garten is very excited about that. I bet he is. Uh, if he's listening, he'll probably post something about it. And uh, soccer uh, beat Michigan quite handily, which is very good news for me because I love that team. So they play Indiana coming up later this week, and I hope they win the Big Ten title again because that would be awesome. Uh, we should mention a football game did happen. It was homecoming. Uh, the crowd was a little bit better when Maryland played Wisconsin, and they only lost by seven, which is an improvement from losing by six. Maryland 16. played really well today. The or Not today. Uh, what was it? Saturday. It was on Saturday. Um, Maryland played really well. They actually built Connolly. Um, and his play-by-play data on the game had Maryland playing at, I think, like the 76th percentile nationally uh, and with almost a 60% chance to win based on the way the game unfolded. Um, so I think it was Maryland's best game, honestly, of the season. Um, really? Yeah, I do. I think it was, it was a really impressive performance uh, with the exception of the obvious problems that continue and will continue to dog Maryland. Um, their defense played great. And, you know, the with the exception awesome. of a couple of problems and, and you give up a fake punt. Um, not counting for the fake punt, Maryland gave up like less than two yards per carry. Uh, against a pretty good power running team, uh, granted one without a star running back, but but hey, Maryland's rush defense the last three weeks has been really really good. Maryland's defense in general, rush defense, like the one thing that you can't say about Randy Edsel is that he wasn't right about the four three defense. Absolutely was the right move. It's been great for Maryland. It'll be a good. It'll be a pretty big help for Maryland, I think. Um, of course, you could say why didn't you do that four years ago? Um, that that's fair as well. But it's been great for them. They've, their rush defense and their pass rush have both been uh, among the best in the country all year. It's a shame that uh, that they didn't because they didn't win because that would have been, as Alex said, the best win of either Randy Edsel or Mike Boxley's tenure against a seven and two Wisconsin team that was unranked. But 
I mean, Michigan State's going to be brutal considering the coming off the way that they lost. And then you have Indiana Rutgers. Maryland could beat both of those teams, and it'll be nice. And they'll probably win one of them, if not both. Uh, Dave, it'll be nice to see them get a couple of wins for the effort that they've been putting in because they were so close against Penn State. They were really close against Wisconsin. The numbers lied a bit. They were closer against Iowa than some of the numbers would have indicated. So it'll be nice to see them down the stretch. They can easily beat Rutgers or Indiana. So it'll be nice to see them, I think, get a win for some of the effort that they've been putting in down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, it's it's got to be kind of hard on some of these guys to go through a coaching change like that. Um, I, I'd obviously love to see them win as many more games as they could for the rest of the season. I'd I think they do have a chance in their last two games. I think it's going to be a real tall order against Michigan State. But uh, I agree with Alex that their game against Wisconsin was probably, you know, their best game that they've played this year. And they are certainly playing better than they were. And if they could somehow limit some of the mistakes that they were making and even, you know, get get some luck going their way in terms of, interceptions or anything like that you know they're certainly capable of winning these games but you know, Alex wrote a great article about the next Maryland football coach whoever that is is really going to be inheriting a team that's capable of winning seven or eight games next season and everyone's going to throw their hands up and be like oh my god why couldn't we have hired this person sooner but a lot of that has to do with what this team's doing now and the growth that you're seeing in some of the players who are going to be back next year. There are other things that I want to get to, but we've been going too long, and Alex is desperate to leave, apparently. So uh, we'll let him go. We'll get to some of those things at other points. The podcast schedule might be shifting a bit because of basketball. We'll let you know when it comes out. Uh, maybe we'll start doing multiple podcasts a week or something. We'll figure it out. Uh, but this was a fun show, and uh, it was probably the most fun show we've done uh, thus far. Uh, Alex, uh, you agree with that? I do. I think it was a blast. Um, always a great time to talk to you, Matt, and you, Dave. I'll oh, stop uh, buttering me up. Eric Hayes as well. Yeah, of course, Eric Hayes is definitely part of that. Uh, Dave, it's two weeks on the uh, in a row on the program. That that's a new record. Yeah, I know. It's going to be habitual soon. You better watch hopefully, out. Hopefully, it will be habitual. <laughs> There's a lot of people who want to get on this show, though. We're a very exclusive club. I hope you. I hope you, everybody realizes that. Uh, maybe Eric will realize that too. Maybe that's yeah. why I come back. Uh, so th- we will talk after. Maryland's two, well, basketball game on Friday against Mount St. Mary's, football against Michigan State. We have to talk about them, unfortunately, even though they'll get killed. Uh, Quite a lot to get to. It's an exciting time in Maryland sports, which I don't say very often. So hopefully you enjoyed this podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed Eric Hayes being on, reminiscing about some great Maryland teams and previewing the future. And, of course, go Terps. Go Terps.